Okay, so this Sicha from the Rebbe, this talk is on the Parsha of Pinchas, which is this week's Parsha, and connection with the 12th and the 13th of Tammuz, which we already started speaking about in last week's Sicha, but today he's going to take it to a whole nother exciting journey about the holiday of the freedom of prison from the previous Rebbe, the connection to our days, and more specifically, the connection to Parsha of Pinchas and the Pinchas person himself. The connection of all these, he's going to tie them all in together. This is from volume 18 of Lakut Sichas. And it was said on the Parsha of Pinchas in 1977. And it was published and edited in the year of 1979 for that Shabbos. So the Rebbe begins to point out that the days of redemption from 1927, as we spoke about the arrest of the previous Rebbe for spreading Yiddishkeit in Russia, fell out in 1927. It was on Tuesday and Wednesday of the week of Parshas Pinchas. Like today's Wednesday, so Tuesday he got the notification. He actually gets freed and stamped papers on the Wednesday. So too, interesting enough, is that his birthday, which is on the 12th of Tammuz, in the year of 1880, also happened in the week when we read Parsha Pinchas. That's in one of the diaries of the previous Rebbe. He writes about his own birthday, that it happened in the week of Parsha Pinchas. And and the previous Rebbe writes in his diary that most of Event, most of the events that took place during throughout his lifetime, things that happened to him, are always hinted to, whether a little more concealed or a little more revealed in the Parsha of Pinchas. So in other words, that his redemption and all the service of what he did throughout his life have an interconnection with Pinchas. Because that's the name of the whole Parsha. Now, he starts off with showing us a very simple connection. He says the name of the previous Rebbe, the previous Rebbe had two names, Yosef and Yitzchak. Well, his name Yitzchak is the same numerical value of the name Pinchas. So not just is it in the same week, it actually has the same Equivalent in number value. The name Yitzchak, Yud is 10, Tzadik is 90, Ches is 8, and Kuf is 100. That's 208. And the name Pinchas is also equals to 208. So that's one quick thing. How do we know this? Like, obviously, you could figure it out, one could figure it out themselves. But he says it's actually quoted in the Zohar. The Zohar tells you that this is Yitzchak adds to Pinchas. That alone tells you that it's a real gematria that's brought down in real Torah books. So it's like a re- it's a real thing. It's it's not just something that you know you just swipe over it. Also, we see a connection. So that's on a on a revealed level. You could see that so easily by just you know making that numerical calculation. But even his first name, which is Yosef, also has a connection to Pinchas. Where do you get that? Because it says that 
Pinchas is a descendant from the from Yosef, from the tribe Yosef. Where do you see that? The ver, there's a verse in Parsha of era that tells us that tells us that Elazar, who was one of the four sons of Aaron, so it says Elazar ben Aaron lakach loy he took he took for himself a daughter, like in other words, for a wife. He took the daughter of somebody called Potiel. Now, when the Torah tells you that somebody married whoever it is, there's a reason why it's telling you something. It's trying to allude to something. Otherwise, why do you have to know who the wife was or the husband was? Like, we only want to know who the characters that we're talking about. What, just say, Elazar got married. When you tell me that Elazar got married to the daughter of Potiel, say, the sages tell us that Potiel is because Poti, in, in, in the word, what the mean, Potiel, Poti means, Shepitbeit beyitzrei. He subdued his evil inclination. So who did Elazar take for a wife, he took somebody that's from the daughter of Potiel. Who's Potiel? Potiel is from the family of Joseph, who had that special strength that they overcame the evil inclination. As you all know the story with Yosef when he was tested, right, by the wife of Potiphar when she came to uh, try to get him to sin, and Yosef had to overcome the temptation of the evil inclination. So who did Elazar marry? Somebody from that family, the daughter of Potiel, who's obviously a grandchild from Yosef, who had this you know, ability to overcome the evil inclination. And who is Elazar's son? Pinchas. So the Pinchas character that we have in our Parsha is a descendant from Yosef. Because his mother's family all the way back goes to Yosef. And that that's the connection of Yosef and Pinchas. And the connection of the name Yitzchak, again, is because that's a numerical value which both add to 208. So we see very clearly that the previous Rebbe, not just that he was born in the week of Parsha Pinchas, not just that he was redeemed from jail in the Parsha Pinchas. You even see more that his name, his first name, and his second name are connected to Pinchas. Clearly, the first name, Yosef, is more hidden in the connection because you have to really dig a little bit to find out who, who Pinchas' father married and to get to that sage's interpretation of the name of, of uh, Potiel. And the name of Yitzchak is much more in a revealed way. The reason why he's emphasizing that the name Yosef is more concealed and the name Yitzchak is more revealed it's going to help us to understand more what he's going to teach us of these names in the continuation here. The connection of Pinchas and the previous Rebbe. What is the connection of these two giants? So Pinchas in the time of Moses, what was he known for? As we learned in the end of last week's Parsha Balak, what did we learn? That there was a plague that broke out amongst the Jews because the Midianites were giving their daughters 
to Israel to trying to get the Jewish men to sin with their daughters to the point where there was such a promiscuous level of behavior that there was a Cosby, uh, Cosby, and and together with with the the person who he sat, sinned with, together they he came to Moses and he confronted him that uh, that why can't I marry her and basically started to sin with her in the public. God sends out a plague. Twenty four thousand people die in this plague, which is a tremendous, uh, terrible you know event that happens, and. And when Pinchas sees what happens, he goes to Moshe and he says, what is the rule with such a person? Isn't, didn't I once, and Moshe, so to speak, blanks out, what's the rule to do for such a person that commits this act in public? And he says to Moshe, Pinchas says to Moshe, Moshe, you once taught me that a person, Habayel Aramis, that a person who has relations with an Aramaic, meaning with a non-Jew, especially in public, Kanoin Pagenbite, those that are zealous should go out and kill them. You once taught me that. And Moshe said the famous words to him. He says, The person who brings the letter and reads the letter of the rule should fulfill what the letter says. In other words, you're telling me that that's the rule. Okay, so that's the rule. So what does Pinchas do? Moshe, didn't, Moshe kind of taught him, yes, okay, that's the rule. But he doesn't say, yes, go ahead and do it. It's kind of intimated from what Moshe is teaching him. So he goes and as a zealous act and he goes and he kills them. So, in other words, this is not a clear black and white law that whenever such an act happens, you should be the zealous person to do it. But Pinchas felt that he was a zealous, committed enough to the rule, and he's going to undertake it. What's going to be with me? I don't know. Maybe I'll get killed in return. I don't know what's going to be. But if this is the rule, I have to stand up for the rule. And as we all know the story... People were very skeptical about what Pinchas did. And in today's Parsha, Hashem says, well, at the end of Parsha last week, it said that, that the plague stops. And in today's Parsha, Hashem says, I'm going to give the reward for Pinchas for doing this. And he makes him into a Kohen. So what's the point that you see here? That Pinchas, is, his way of doing things was in a zealous way. He went out and did more than what just the rule says. And even when the rule is, and this becomes the rule, that if you see such a kind of thing, we do not instruct anybody to go and kill some such a person. Even if you see such a person, you're not allowed to tell somebody, that's the law, go kill him. You're not allowed to do it. There's no rule to do it. But if you choose to do it, that's okay. So in other words, if you choose to be a zealous in this area, you're allowed to. But you don't. the courts will not tell you that this is the ruling you should go out and do this. It's like kind of reserved for somebody that's a zealous and we don't tell anybody to go do such a thing. In other words, halacha doesn't say that. Now, so you ultimately see that Pinchas, his way of conducting himself was in this zealous way. And ultimately, after all the skeptics were there, Hashem clears it and says, thank you for calming down my anger. And he gives him a reward for this. Now we find a similar 
mirror to this behavior of doing something so zealously was the behavior of the previous Rebbe. He did the same kind of attitude, obviously in a different context, but he did it also, he lived in this kind of zealous way. What did he do? He went on a self-sacrifice to strengthen and uphold Torah and Yiddishkeit in general in, the, that, in that country, in Russia. And that led to them arresting him. And it was all done in a complete self-sacrifice. There was no obligation, there is no obligation to go on a self-sacrifice to teach Torah. We all know, if you look into the code of Jewish law, it says that there's only three mitzvahs that you're supposed to let yourself get killed and don't do that prohibition. Those three are famous ones. Idol worship, if they tell you to worship idol in public, then you have to say, I can't. And if they say, well, we're going to shoot you, well, then you have to accept that. Um. Which means if they tell you to do some kind of promiscuous behavior in public, all these have to do in public more than 10 people. That's the rule. Then you have to also accept that I'm not going to, you know, do this promiscuous behavior, even if it comes with the punishment of death. And the third is to murder somebody. If they tell you, kill that person or else I'll kill you, you're not allowed to kill another person. So it's only these three. But there's no obligation on any of the other things that the previous Rebbe went on a self-sacrifice. And as we learned in last week's Sicha, not just that he went on the sacrifice, he even instructed his students to go do it. That when one student got caught, he replaced them with another one, and so on and so forth. So now, so that's the similarity between, the general similarity between Pinchas and the previous Rebbe. They both did more than what was, much more than what was required. Even though the law does not say you have to do it here, they both were willing to give up their lives and risk themselves for the value that they held so strong. Now we could ask a question. This kind of comparison of Pinchas and the previous Rebbe is really not from Parsha Pinchas. Parsha Pinchas only speaks about God saying, thank you for doing it, calming me down, I'm going to give you the, the gift of a coin for you and your family forever. But where does it say the actual story of Pinchas doing this zealous act? That was in Parsha Balak, in last week's Parsha. So why are we emphasizing so much that there's such a close connection to Pinchas if really that story is mentioned in last week's Parsha of Balak? So Rebbe says that to understand the answer to that, why it's really connected to Pinchas, even though it's quoted in the Parsha before in Balak, we have to understand first something that is quoted in the Talmud, but not the regular Talmud that we're all familiar with called the Babylonian Talmud. And this is a quote from the Jerusalem Talmud. The Jerusalem Talmud was sealed about a hundred years after the Babylonian Talmud was completed. There were the sages living in Israel and they compiled a Talmud as well. And if you look at them one day you'll notice the different styles. The Babylonian Talmud, which we didn't have the clarity that we had living in the Holy Land of Israel with the purity of the pure air and the holy air in Israel, they had much more difficulty to get to conclusions. So you could have what it takes 10 pages to write up one law in the Babylonian Talmud. You could have the same law in a half a page or a quarter of a page or five lines in the Jerusalem Talmud. They had a much more decisive 
look at things. But the point is, there's many important details that we find that's in one and not in the other one. So, so in the Jerusalem Talmud, it says, regarding the story of Pinchas, it says the following. It says that the act of Pinchas was not approved and it was not desired by the sages of his time. And not just that they didn't appreciate what he did. The sages of the, that story, because you know there was always the sages. You know, remember Moshe appointed seventy elders and so on. They actually wanted to excommunicate Pinchas for doing it. That's how much they felt it was inappropriate for him to act in this way. The only reason why the sages of the era of Pinchas did not excommunicate him is because a spirit, a holy spirit called the Ruach HaKodesh, which is like the, the, uh, like, like the spirit of seeing the future. Like holy, very holy people have Ruach HaKodesh, it's called. They can see the future. They have this holy spirit, the holy, holy uh, communication with Hashem. So it says, if it wasn't for the Ruach HaKodesh that fell upon the heads of, of these sages that they heard through Ruach HaKodesh that God is going to say that He's going to, Pinchas is going to have a blessing that he and all his descendants after him will have the covenant of Kohen. So if they would have not gotten that Ruach HaKodesh, they actually would have excommunicated Pinchas. Now, what do you see from this? from the Jerusalem Talmud, what we take, the takeaway from the Jerusalem Talmud is that look, we actually now have magnified the zealousness of Pinchas to a much higher level. Now that we know that the sages didn't approve it, and he did it anyways, and they were ready to excommunicate him for this, that only tells you how much more risk he had involved. As a matter of fact, there's two things that he risked in being so zealous. First of all, his own body. He could have been, you know, enemies could have thrown a spear at him for doing this. Especially Cusby's family, right? And so he risked his body, that was self-sacrifice, but also to be excommunicated if a, if a court excommunicate a person, that means your soul actually becomes excommunicated. You can't be counted for a minion. We learned this just this past Sunday. You, there's a lot of things about a person. You can't marry him. There's like a lot of things about this. If you get you know, excommunicated from a community, that's a serious thing. And nevertheless, when he saw, when Pinchas saw, that Vayeshev Yisrael Bashitim, the verse says, that where were the Jews settling at that period? They were, this story happened in this town called Shittim. That's the name of this place. Now, he knew that the word Shittim is also from the Hebrew word Shtut or Shtuyot, falliness. And he knew the saying that a person does not do a sin unless a spirit of falliness enters your head. The falliness usually is that a, this, this falliness comes into your head and it says to you, don't worry, it's okay to sin. You won't really be separated from God. It's not so bad. God's still going to like you. It convinces you all these bubamises. So 
he knew that when it says that the Jews were settling in Shittim, which is the place of Shtuyot, because that's the name of a place. The name of a place tells you what's going on there. And he realizes that there's a plague that broke out amongst the Jews. So Pinchas says to himself, falliness entered into the Jewish people's heads. A plague has just broke out. How could I compare my own self-safety in the place of all this craziness that's going on, the falliness and the plague? So therefore... He says, it's worth it for me to go on Maseris Nefesh. I'm going to go on a self-sacrifice. Like, I'm not going to save myself when I could save everybody else. And that devotion of his, of that self-sacrifice, for his body and his soul he sacrificed. He risked it all. Imagine that. He risked everything he had to be able to calm down Hashem's anger. And that's when Hashem says, You have subdued and, and brought back and settled down and you know, calmed down my anger on the Jewish people. So this was Pinchas. Now we can understand the magnitude of his zealousness. It was so wild that he risked not just his body, even his soul was involved with this. By the way, talking about self-sacrifice, the Rebbe brings in a footnote here, a very interesting thing about self-sacrifice. He says there are many stories uh, regarding the Baal Shem Tov and his students and the students of the Magad of Mizrich, that they were willing to go on self-sacrifice in their days and they were willing to give up their world to come. In other words, the Garden of Eden, just to do a favor for another Jew. He's just pointing out this idea of, like Pinchas did it to save all the Jews. He was willing to give up his life and his world to come and everything. But he's saying is, we have many stories from the previous generations already about similar things. He brings down as an example, there was a story from the Alter Rebbe that he had once a, a book of Hasidus that burnt in a fire. And in that book, that whole book basically of Hasidus literature was the actual writing of the Alter Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe had a handwritten note on the cover of the book that said that whoever reads this book or copies it will be excommunicated. And then one day there was a fire and the book burnt. And the Alter Rebbe asked, did anybody copy it? Like, is it saved? Do we have the content? So the Alter Rebbe's son, who later became the Mithra Rebbe, answered his father. He said, what do you mean? How could we have looked at it and read it and copy it like you it said on top of it that we would be you're going to that will be excommunicated if we you know get into this book and the Rebbe answered him ah he said where is your self sacrifice for Hasidus? <laughs> in other words yes it said you could have been excommunicated but you should have had self sacrifice to do it anyways so this could have been preserved just He's pointing out this, this story and it's brought down in the footnote here so I wanted to share this with you. But that's the point here that Pinchas was willing to go on the self-sacrifice for his body, his soul, everything in order to do the right thing. 
Now, this kind of act, how could you, how could, what is, like, where does it come from in a person to go on some, such a deep self-sacrifice? It has to come only from the most deepest place inside your soul, the essence of your soul, which is even higher, the Jewish soul is even higher than the Torah itself. Therefore, when your self-sacrifice comes from a place that's higher than measurement, higher than limitations, and therefore, the reward could also come in such a way. Hashem says, even though I said that this is, I never gave the system for Kohen, that this is the way it's going to be, that automatically it could go to the, the, the families and so on. I am going, you know, the, since you tapped into a place beyond the level of Torah, you went into a deep place for such a self-sacrifice, I'm going to also break the rules, so to speak. And I'm going to give you coin. Which is an amazing thing. Now now we understand why it's in, specifically in Parsha Pinchas, where Hashem tells him that you're going to have this blessing of covenant of Kohen for you and your family forever because you went on this zealous act and now I forgive the Jewish people. So in other words, this idea that through self-sacrifice, Hashem gives him the Kohen, that is mentioned in our Parsha, in Parsha Pinchas. So even though the story itself happened in the end of Balak, but since this promise happens in Parsha Pinchas, so that's why it's revealed the deep, the deep intention that this is what God was satisfied with this act. In the beginning, we wouldn't have known this. Only afterwards, Hashem says, I'm satisfied, you did the right thing, and that you tapped into a place that's higher than the, what it says in the Torah to do, because the Torah doesn't tell you straight out, act in this zealous way. But you did it, and it was the right thing. Now, we have, now let's go back to the previous Rebbe. And soon we're going to see the lesson of all this, not just to know a historical thing that happened in the 1920s. But we find now the similar thing by the rest and the liberation of the previous Rebbe. Not just did he go to teach Torah and strengthen Yiddishkeit in a way of self-sacrifice for his body, risking his own body, which in that case we know that according to the Torah you are not obligated to do that. But he also did it in a way that many great Torah scholars just in the generation before us did not understand his way of conduct. And they didn't agree with him, actually. And they actually did differently. They, at many, most of the Jewish leaders of those that generation left Russia. They said, for many different reasons, I saw it in one of the unedited versions, the Rebbe says that many of these leaders left because most likely we could be positive about them. They probably left because they felt they could have a bigger effect on on the Torah being outside of Russia at the time. But nevertheless, they did not agree or didn't have the approach that the previous Rebbe had, which was like Pinchas. So in other words, he went so far to risk himself and also others. And not just that, he actually risked the entire operation of the entire movement of what he was doing at the time. Because imagine, if they will pull him down, the entire movement would collapse. So in, in, in connection to his self-sacrifice of his body, he also stood in a self-sacrifice spiritually also. 
He risked everything. Why? Because he felt that this is important to the continuation and the existence of the Jewish people. That the flame, fire of the Jewish people should not be extinguished, God forbid. And for this, he said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to make any kind of calculations and I'm going to go on a self-sacrifice to keep the fire torch of the Jewish people alive. And in this case as well, just like it was in the story of Pinchas, later it was revealed that he was right. And this kind of zealous act forgave the Jewish people. And as it happened, even in this world here, it was agreed that he should be freed and there should be the redemption. What ultimately was the difference from Pinchas and by the previous Rebbe, the idea of the zealous act of Pinchas remained a law that ain't Meirinloi. The law till today is, you are not allowed to instruct a person to go and behave zealously and take a spear and kill somebody that's in a non-kosher relationship. You're not allowed to tell anybody to do that. That's the way the law stays till today. But on the other hand, by the previous Rebbe's zealous act of teaching Yiddishkeit and self-sacrifice, that remains and we and it gets instructed to us to still go on that self-sacrifice for teaching Yiddishkeit. That part does stay. So they had similar in their approach and in the outcome that they both had, were proven to be right. The only difference is that the way of Pinchas, we're not told to do that today, but the way of the previous Rebbe, we are told to do that. Why? Because it's proven that this is the way to lighten the charcoals that have a hidden fire spark deep inside these coals that every Jew has to get to light that up. And that brings out a connection for the future generations. I was actually thinking about this, by the way, on a side note. This was in 1927. I'm just thinking of this, and maybe many of us here today in this class could also put themselves in these shoes. I don't know. But, you know, my family, we're back, we go back from Russia. In 1927, all the Deitches were there in Russia. They stayed there until they got out. Most of them got out in 1947. So think about it. 20 years later, they're still practicing Jews, learning Torah, doing mitzvahs. 20 years later, still under the communist regime. How, how were they able to do this? This is because the previous rabbi kept on keeping them motivated, writing them letters and not to give up. And by the way, even after 1947, many people didn't get out for many years later. There was a small window in the early 1970s. The Zaltzman said their father came out of, out of Russia and, and many others. And there were many people that wrote to the Rebbe in Russia that they want to get out. And the Rebbe said, how could you leave? You're there motivating other people. You're the shochet, you're the rabbi, you're the mail. You have responsibility there. It wasn't so simple to leave. To leave and even if you could leave, it wasn't so simple that, you, that it was the right thing to do. So you see that this thing that the previous Rebbe did actually truly kept the flame going all the time. Now we're going to understand the connection between Pinchas and the names of the Rebbe. His name was, again, Yosef Yitzchak. We said that what's the connection of Yitzchak 
because it has the same numerical value, right? We said, we said Yitzchak is 208 and Pinchas is 208. And the connection is because you have to go back to the original Yitzchak. Who was the first Yitzchak? Abraham's son, Yitzchak. From our forefathers, Abraham, Yitzchak, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Yitzchak was the middle one. Now Yitzchak, what is the one of the most famous, well-known stories about Yitzchak? When he was brought up on the Akeda. He was 37 years old and Hashem says, Abraham, take your son, bring him up on the altar, bring him up as an offering. Yitzchak wasn't an eight-year-old, eight-day-old baby. Right? Rashi brings down from the Talmud many places proving his age of 37 years old. So he was a mature adult. And Yitzchak says to Avram, no problem. If that's what Hashem says, I'm in. <laughs> Major self-sacrifice, for sure, of the level of his body. But even more, there was a spiritual thing there. Because in addition to this, that it doesn't make sense that he should say, oh yeah, okay, if Hashem says I should go up as an altar, I'm going to go. Why? Because there was a straight out promise from God. Hashem told Avram and said, Ki Who's going to inherit you? Who's going to continue your family line? It's going to be Isaac. It's his, your seed is going to continue. That's the verse. It's the seed that through Yitzchak that's going to continue. Comes out that if Yitzchak's going to agree to go onto the altar, he's going to be uprooting exactly what Abraham planted. Right? Exactly what he'd be doing if he agrees. The whole mission of Avraham and Yitzchak was to spread the name of God in the whole world. So Yitzchak could have said, no, 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 I can't go on the altar. I have a mission. How could I go up on the altar? And God said that I'm going to be one to continue Abraham's line. Remember, Yitzchak wasn't married yet. He's a late bachelor. He got married only at 40. I mean, he lived till 180, so I guess... Uh, Make it proportionate, you know. But okay. So, but the point is that he had an easy way out, technically. But what did Yitzchak, what, what happened? Yitzchak didn't ask any questions. He said, no problem, I'm going with a full heart. If that's what Hashem wants, I'm doing it. So you see, again, that not just is the connection of Pinchas to Yitzchak because of the numerical value, it's actually an attitude of self-sacrifice that both had Always. Now there's going to be still a difference. Because the difference of Pinchas and the previous Rebbe is in the name. Pinchas only has one name. The previous Rebbe had two names, Yosef and Yitzchak. Yitzchak only tells you about the self-sacrifice there, but the previous Rebbe has another name. His name is Yosef. Now we, we quoted before, that because uh, um, Pinchas's mother was a descendant from Yosef, so there's a connection in the line there, right? But let's understand more something that it's explained in Kabbalah. This is a total, total Kabbalistic idea and brought out in Hasidus and 
if you have a, a a pen and a piece of paper, you'll be able to write it down to think this through a little later. But here's the point that it's brought down in the Kabbalah and Hasidus. It says that the difference between the name Yosef and the name Yitzchak, it says like this, Yosef is a numerical value of three times one of God's calculations of God's name. Now let me just... Uh, 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 straighten this out. So, and Yitzchak is four times of that name of God. So let's talk. Hashem's name, the holiest name of Hashem is yud Hey and vav Hey. Okay? The simple numerical value of yud Hey and vav Hey. by the way, over here, the Rebbe doesn't elaborate on it, but let's just, let's elaborate so we, it's not, so it shouldn't be, you know, too foreign for us. So, the name yud Hey and vav Hey is, Yud is ten, Hey is five, Vav is six, and Hey is five. So in total, God's name, numerical value is 26. But there are different ways how you could spell out a letter. In other words, the letter Yud, you could spell it just Yud, and that's it. But you could also write out the letter. You write out the letter by writing Yud, Vav, Dalit. Spells Yud. Right? You could spell out the letter Hey. You could spell it in a bunch of different ways. You could spell it Hey Yud. Says Hey. You could do Hey Hey. Hey Aleph. There's different ways you could spell out the letter, a letter Hey. The same thing with the letter Vav. You could spell Vav, Vav, Yud, Vav. Or just vav vav or vav aleph vav, right? Now the more letters or different letters that you combine to spell out a letter, you're going to have a different numerical value. So there are four different ways of writing out the letters of the four letters of God's name. Always the yud is if you spell out the letter yud, it's yud vav dalid yud. Yud vav dalid is twenty. Yud is 10, Vav is 6, and Dalit is 4. Okay, so that's 20. One of the ways of spelling hey is hey hey. That's 10. Two hey's, 5, 5 is 10. Vav, just Vav and Vav, 6 and 6, is the number 12. And then again, hey hey, for two fives gives you 10. So if you do it like that, it's 10, sorry, it's 20 plus 10 plus 12 plus 10. That's equals to 52. Okay? Now, in Hebrew, 52 is the letters Bez and Nun, or Nun and Bez. We call it Ban, or Ben. Okay? So whenever you hear that name in mystical, in Kabbalistic talk, they say the name Ban. It means the name of God, the way it adds to 52. You could also do the way God's name adds to 45. It's called the name of Ma. You could also do it, spell it out. I'm not going to do go through all the spellings now because he only mentions here about the name Bana 52, okay? But I'm just giving you the background. You could spell it in a way that it should add to 45. You could spell it in a way that it should also add to 63 called Shame Sag. Or you could also spell it out with the letters Av, Ayin Bays, which is 72. Okay, so there's four different ways how you could... And now these... Names of God, the name of God of, let's in our case, 
the name Ban, which is 52. So that's taking God's name spelt out in a specific way. Yud Vav Dalet, Hey Hey, Vav Vav, and Hey Hey gives you 52. And this is what he's bringing you to here now. He says the name of Yosef, if you calculate the name of Yosef three times, it's going to be exactly three times the name of God, Ban 52. Three times 52 is 156. Yosef's name is, in, in, a, in, a, in numbers, it adds to 156. So what's the significance of Yosef's name, 50, 156, is that it equals three times the name of God of Ban. Now Yitzchak, Yitzchak adds to 208. 208 is four times 52. Okay, so that's what he brings you here from the Kabbalist. That's, that's, that's all we're going to have now with the Kabbalah part of this. But the point is, and it's going to be relevant, the number three and four in a moment, but let's just get this part. Yosef, equals 156, that's three times the name of God, 52. And Yitzchak equals 208, so that's four times the name of God, 52, the name called Ban, Shem Ban. Now, says the Rebbe, in more simple language, in more simple use of words, what's the difference from three and four? Three is Gimel, and four is Dalad. So in the Tractate Talmud, in Tractate Shabbos, it tells you the difference of Gimel and Dalet. Gimel is from the word Gimel, like it starts with a Gimel. Gimel means giving, like you're doing something kind. You're giving charity to somebody. You're giving some kind of um, money to somebody. You're, right? you're, giving a, uh, you're giving kindness to somebody, a poor person. So Gimel stands for giving. Dalid stands for Dalim, which means poor. Okay? Or in Hebrew, the word Dal, Dal means poor, or like without anything. So the Gimel gives to the Dalid. Okay? That's what the Talmud says is the difference in this. If you want to read into letters, in Hebrew letters, they're helping you. Gimel means the giving of the kindness and Dalet means the poor, which is the receiving. Now, what's the general difference between the two? Giving, the Gimel, which represents the giving, means you're preparing to do the right thing, the good thing. Dalet, which means the receiving, is the bottom line. It's the action. In other words, let's think for a second like this. What's more important? The giving or that the poor person should get the should be the receiver? Who, who what's more important? Who cares who's the giver? The main thing is that the poor should get what he needs to get. So the giving is only in order for the for the poor to get. You need to have a giver. Okay, I get it. But if there would be no Poor, there would be no giver. You need to have the poor to receive. Otherwise, who are you giving to? So there's no kindness without the receiver. 
as it's brought down in the Medrash, the bottom line for the receiver is that you gave him his life. You gave him food to live. That's the bottom line. That's called the action. Now we can understand when the gimel is only the preparation. He's, he's only the, 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 the mashpia. He's like the mentor. But it's only completed when there is the receiver. So too by a person, gimel shows that you're only in a level of preparation. Uh, like for example, a person has your intellect and you have your emotions. If you only have intellect without it coming down into your emotions, into your behavior, then you didn't get anywhere. Now we can understand the connection of these numbers three and four that come one after the next. Every time you bring something down, there's always three steps in bringing things down. But the completion is the number four. That's why, th- it, that's why it's only number three, the giving. It doesn't say giving is number one. Giving is three. That means there's three steps of going down. You even have this, by the way, in the worlds that Hashem created. There are four worlds. There's the higher three worlds, and then you have the lowest world, which is our world. So you need three worlds before you come down to the world of action. Therefore, if you take the spheros, if you're familiar with the spheros, spheros, you have three intellect, Chachma, Bina, and Das, spelled out Chabad, and then you have the seven emotions, right? Now, you're supposed to do these, 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 the all ten, you do them in a way of triangle. So you do Chachma, Bina, and then Das. Then you go Chesed, kindness, restrain, Chesed, Gvora, and then Tiferes, beauty, on the bottom of the triangle. Then you have Netzach, victorious, Hoid on the left, glory, and then Yesod, which is the foundation in the middle under it. So why do you do this in a triangle, right, left, and then bottom? Because the bottom middle is the receiver, the combination of the upper two. So the right and the left now fall into, like a cone, into the bottom. So Yesod, which is the foundation, represents the completion of the three. Because you always need to have three. So always the foundation is the bottom of the three. So that means the three includes the upper two. Four is a different story. Four is represented by this last of all the ten spheres. It's called Malchus. Malchus is the kingdom or sovereignty. Right? Which sovereignty really includes in it everything from above, all the above. Just think of it as the example of a king. A king even though he has all the power, but a king is not a king if he doesn't have all the wealth that he collects from everybody else, all the taxes and so on. So he's only, he's, he's the receiver of the whole thing on the bottom. So always Malchus, sovereignty is always considered to be the bottom because it holds the whole thing together. So Yesod, which is the number three, collects it all and then it drops into the number four. Like we just said, Gimel is giver and then Dalad is the receiver. So too we have the two things over here of the two names, Yosef and Yitzchak. The previous Rebbe's names was Yosef and Yitzchak. Yosef was represented by three because its numerical value is three times 52, the name of God. And Yitzchak is represented by four because it represents four times the numerical value of 52. It adds to 
208. So Yosef is the preparation and Yitzchak is the action of actually getting it done. Think of this in, in now in your practicality, in practical words for your day-to-day service. You have Nasa and Nishma. What did the Jews say to God when we got to Torah? Yes, we'll do it all and then we'll learn it. First we said yes, dear, we were committed to do it. And then we said we're going to learn Learn what learn what it is that you want from us. What's the more important? The action. The doing. The giving is very nice. That's like the studying. But if you study and you don't practice what you studied, what was it all worth? It's like a person that could be a giver, but's not actually the giver. What did it help me? So in other words, if a person wants to give, and doesn't have where to give. He's stuck. You need to have the actual receiver. And not just you need to have a receiver. You have to have the receiver that got it. Then you have the action of it. Now we can understand the connection between the Messiris Nefesh, the self-sacrifice of Pinchas and the Rebbe. Because it's all in their names. You see, Pinchas which is a numerical value, as we said of Yitzchak. Pinchas was not the leader of his generation. He wasn't what we call the Nasi. He wasn't a Nasi of his generation. Moses was the the leader of the generation. So Pinchas was not the person that's supposed to instruct people to do self-sacrifice. He was only like a messenger that did the action, bottom line, he got it done. What does it mean when a person is a messenger, a shliach? The main thing is, is to do the action, what you were told to do. Like Pinchas is all about action. He's the numerical value of Yitzchak, which is four. Four shows on the receiver of the action, getting it done. So what was Pinchas's life mission to get the action done? It wasn't about teaching rules. Teaching rules is the, the head of the generation teaches what the rules are. His job was getting action done. Not so much on the preparational side of the stuff. And sometimes when you mix in all the preparation stuff, you start getting confused and you don't get to the action. And since it's like we say in the L'chadodi Friday night, you say, there's a quote, one of the L'chadodis, it says, Soif That the end, bottom line, action was in God's mind in the beginning. In other words, from the be- whatever gets done at the end really was the intent from the beginning. That's why with his self-sacrifice in a way with no limitations, he accomplished through this zealous act for God that God says that your zealous calmed me down. Because that's what I wanted from the beginning. I wanted this. I didn't express it in the Torah, but that's what was in my mind from the beginning, Hashem is saying. I wanted there should be this law and order here, even to this extent, if we have to do it like this. Now, of course, Pinchas had some degree of preparation. It wasn't just the action. He did receive from Moshe. Like, it's hinted that he says to Moshe, he says, Moshe, I heard this law from you. But the rule to do it, that was concealed. In a revealed way, Moshe said, as I mentioned before, whoever brings the letter should fulfill what the letter says. But he still didn't say the words. It was only intimated. He didn't say those words. Go and kill him. 
That's because Pinchas was not the Nasi Hadar. He wasn't the leader of his generation. But by the leader of a generation, which the, which was the previous Rebbe. And as we know, the rule that Hanasi, who Akhalid says, Rashi brought down in Chukas, that, that in last week, we, we read it in Rashi, that the Nasi is the leader of the entire, uh, which includes everybody. So you need to have both things in a full, proper way. The learning and the action. And that's how you see it in his name, Yosef and Yitzchak. In the same person. Because he was the leader of the generation. Yosef, again, represents the giving. Like the studying part, the preparation part. Because again, it's only three. Yosef represents only three. The number three, because it's only numerical value of God's name three times. Right? 156 is three times 52, the name of God, Yashem Ban. But his name was also Yitzchak, which represents the leg of four. Four is the action. So he had both parts to it. And that's why you see in the self-sacrifice from the previous Rebbe, he had both components. He had where he spread, said, let's spread Taira to all categories of Jews, minors and adults. He said, build mikvas, send out Rabbanim, send out Shaykhtim, send out Mayolim, and etc. Wherever it was necessary. He made underground, as we spoke, underground haters to teach children what? Aleph base. Just Aleph base. He sent out teachers to get the job done, bottom line. And on the other hand, he had an order of teaching Torah and revealing the most deepest parts of the revealed components of the Torah and the hidden parts of the Torah. Till the most the Razin, the Razin. It's like the secrets of secrets of Torah. The most deepest parts. So he had both things because his name was Yosef and Yitzchak. Now this gives us an additional insight on the connection between the previous Rebbe whose name was Yosef and Yitzchak to, the, to Pinchas. And more important, or equally for sure, is the lesson and the takeaway that we could all take with us. By his Shluchim, the Rebbe demanded, even now, as the saying is quoted in Talmud, it says, It's a very famous saying. It says, you have an app, there's no time to waste now. Grab what you can and eat, grab what you can and drink. Which means, there's no time to make calculations. You see a Jew, grab them, put on tefillin with them. Is there time to get into a discussion? Okay, come back in three weeks, we'll talk about it. You see a woman, give her a Shabbos candle. Tell her what the blessing is. There's no more time anymore to say first come to a year of classes and then start practicing to do the mitzvahs. We're not living in that time anymore. Why? Because the most important thing is we need Yitzchak, action, which is the gematria, the numerical value of Pinchas, which shows action. So we're living in a time, and this is what he demanded from everybody, the level of Yitzchak, Action, grab every opportunity, don't procrastinate, don't postpone. Every opportunity, you got to hop around right away. You have to go out into the world and effect to everybody to fulfill and do as much as they can of Torah and mitzvahs. Even a person who may not have yet the proper intellectual understanding yet. They're missing the nishma, they don't understand 
what Torah Mitzvah really is and how I'm going to accomplish anything with this. There has to be the action. The nullification. You have to be able to be humble about this to say I'm ready to do what Pinchas did. And I'm going to do it even if it doesn't make sense. And affect, and then you could affect that the children will bring back the parents and it will bring back the anger that I have on the people that Hashem said then. And this alone will affect another person to act in the same way of bringing action bottom line. And you see, action he brings down is so important because according to all halachic sources, it says thinking about an a-, a good action is nothing like saying about saying it or doing it. For example, if a person needs to say the Shema, you're supposed to say the Shema at least twice a day, right? If you say, in my mind, I'm going to think the Shema, but I'm not going to say it verbally. Have you fulfilled your mitzvah? Absolutely not. In the mind, it's not does not suffice. You have to say it out with your lips. And if you say out the Shema with your lips, even if you have no idea what you said, you fulfilled your obligation. Because why? Saying it is doing it, the mitzvah of Shema, let alone all other mitzvahs. More specifically, when we find ourselves now in a time that we're in the end period of the historical exile that we're in now, we're now at the footsteps with the coming of Mashiach. There is no time to wait until a person is going to start to learn and become so knowledgeable, and then they'll start to practice. We're at the footsteps of Mashiach. Every moment is crucial to have the sacrifice of getting it done bottom line. And even more, since you would be doing it as a messenger of the leader of the generation, what was his whole point? His name was Yosef, which is the idea like Pinchas, who says, I learned it from you. I know, I heard it from you. I heard, I heard the message from you, Maisha. So we say we heard it from Yosef, from the, from the previous Rebbe. And when you do it in such a kind of way on another person, the other person will also eventually learn to appreciate it also. And this is what's hinted in the name of Yitzchak that has four times the name of Hashem Ban, Shem Ban, four times 52. Because four is comparison also to the number four. The literal number four means you include all the three numbers that are before. And through doing this, serving Hashem in this kind of way, we merit that it will be revealed the ultimate Pinchas. What does it say? Who's the ultimate Pinchas? It says, Pinchas Ze Eliyahu. Pinchas is ultimately came back down in the soul, his soul to be Elijah the prophet. What was Elijah's job? Elijah's job is to notify us that Mashiach's coming. That's why we love him. And by the Pesach, we put a whole cup of wine just for him. Because we're waiting for him to come and let us know the news. He's the one that's going to be Mavasar the Gula. He's going to give us the news that Mashiach's ready. So even Elio, Pinchas, which is Elio really, the same idea, is connected with the action of, of that parents will bring their children back to the fold and children will bring the parents back to the fold. It will work both ways. And also, this redemption, which is the fourth of all redemptions, as we know, in Pesach, you have four cups of wine, Right? Because that represents the four cups 
of anger that Hashem poured out on the Egyptians. And Hashem said there's going to be four cups of wine for the redemption. So we have four cups of wine corresponding to the four expressions, the four expressions of redemption. So four is connected to the redemption, which Hashem is ultimately going to bring us these four cups and give it to everybody to drink with this comfort of the coming of Mashiach speedily in our times now. This is the Sicha 